Welcome to the Less Doing Podcast, where you will learn how to start living more by doing less. Let me help you optimize, automate, and outsource your entire life so you can focus on doing the things you love. Now here's your host, Ari Mizell. So we have Chris Bailey back on the podcast. Chris Bailey of A Year of Productivity. Hello, welcome back, Chris. Hey, man. How are you? How have you been? It's it's been a long time. It has been a long time. It has been a long time. And you know, I, I feel like for you, with your the you know the productivity project you did, where you you had that period where you weren't interacting with anybody for like two weeks, you could just claim that you're yeah. doing that uh, yeah. forever. That, that's, you know, that, that's what my yeah. I've become a monk. I, I don't talk to anybody. <laughs> And, uh, and that's my life. I, 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 I'm just largely antisocial. Yeah. And that's how you become <laughs> as productive as possible, right? <laughs> well, yeah, that, well, in, in a way, like, like that was kind of the, one of the experiments that I did, like living in, in total isolation for 10 days, oh, a long while back at this point, but th- that was one of the ones that really changed the way I thought about productivity. Cause like you can be ultra productive when you're not surrounded by any people you can focus so deeply you can get a lot of stuff done but then you have nobody to share the fruits of that productivity with and so like what the hell is the point of becoming more productive if you don't uh if you don't have a family surrounding you that you can share that with we were just chatting what before we we hit the record button here you know th- th- this is why we should become more productive for the people in our lives not not to chase uh you know, money or profit or, or whatever it might be. It's, it's for that broader network that I think this stuff is worth investing in. Well, and that brings up an interesting point for me too, because one of the things that we've had a big focus on at our company lately is on accountability. So how do you, I, I mean, that plays into that very well. And one of the things that comes up with accountability with entrepreneurs is whether you're isolated or not, a lot of times there's really nobody other than you that knows if you had an amazing day or not, right? Yeah. Uh, because it's right. It's like kind of siloed. Like even me, I don't, my wife doesn't know any of the things that I do in work. We don't, we don't talk about work. It's just, you know, I, I don't, we don't. So I, how do you, how, how do you see accountability affecting productivity in general? Yeah, but my, my fiance and I, we, we have a weird thing that we do. Uh, so whenever, you know, she, she's studying for a PhD in economics, she's significantly smarter than I am in, in, a lot of different ways, but but that way is one of them. And and so that academia is is so unstructured. And so you have these people like, um, you know, thesis is about the the length of a, of a good book. Um, you know, maybe it's a bit shorter, but it takes a bit more work and a bit more research, but, and it takes, you know, about a year to write a book, a a good book and to conduct the research and maybe a bit more than that. But you you have a, a lot of folks in academia take way long because when there's so little structure, you know, you procrastinate, procrastinate on stuff. When things are ambiguous, they're unstructured, they're sometimes boring and frustrating. These are all, these all have been shown to be triggers of procrastination. And so every morning she, she sends me, uh, we, we have a WhatsApp account specifically for this. Uh, she sent, sends me her three daily intentions. So the things that she wants to be held accountable for that day. And so at the end of the day, uh, I ask her, okay, did you get the three things done? And, uh, you know, if there's not a good reason, then, you know, you, you, uh, 
I don't like hold her accountable, but, but there is that sort of, sort of pressure that you have somebody that you share the things you want to uh, accomplish with. For me, I, I like to hold myself accountable at the end of the day. And so, you know, I, I set three intentions at the start of each day because it, it's, it's a nice ritual. It allows me to filter out what's important from what isn't. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, I look back and I think, okay, how many of these things did I accomplish? And uh, over time, I see this. And sometimes if I need some accountability, I'll ask Arden, hey, you know, would you mind, uh, you know, holding me accountable this week? I'm going through a period of low motivation or or there's not enough structure in my work. And so, you know, having somebody that you can do this with, um, you know, you know, even though I'm a big nerd about productivity, you are too. We, we haven't figured this all out. You know, we need somebody to, to, to keep ourselves accountable. So I find those are a couple strategies that really helps, especially with the days that are more ambiguous. You know, if there's a kind of a structure uh, of work kind of set out for me, I, I don't need the accountability. I'll, I'll get the work done. But it's on the days when there's less to do. Um, and, and, you know, I tend to procrastinate because that work is ambiguous and unstructured. That's when uh, adding that structure in the form of accountability is really helpful. So th- what are you being productive at in general, right? Because, again, you know, we've had you on the podcast. Productivity Project was, was, yeah. was a, a whole bunch of different things uh, that you were testing out. Now with this book, Hyperfocus, which is how to be more productive in a world of distraction. Like, wh- you know, what are, what are you getting, yeah. like, other than writing, right? Is What are you doing with that time that you're trying to be yeah. productive? Well, well, these are very much research projects. And, and so, you know, it's reading uh, research articles. It, it's talking to academics and, you know, try, trying to uh, make, make their work accessible to, to a broader general audience because, you know, there's a lot of nomenclature and things like that in these papers in academia. Uh, and it's frankly just kind of, you know, I, I like to see myself as kind of that bridge um, between the, uh, the the academic side, the, the scientific side of productivity, and the the general side of productivity, it's it's kind of an odd, circular thing in a way. You know, being productive, writing about productivity. Right. You know, it, it would be easier if my topic were you know history or, or something where where I'm writing presidential biographies, and, and so I could measure. You know, it, it's it's not as circular, but it's just kind of a byproduct of the topic. So, uh, what is some of the most surprising surprising things that you've learned from this last uh, experiment and this research with hyperfocus? It's, hmm, that there's so many things <laughs> that, that surprised me. I think the big thing that we sort of know on some level that we, that we don't necessarily connect with, though, uh, is how little control we have over our attention. And, uh, and I think we kind of, you know, people might nod their head and say, of course, but we don't realize the, the level to which this is the case. You, you know, the environments that we surround ourselves with, that, that we kind of enter into how to, out of habit, especially the digital environments that we're in, they, they kind of guide our attention um, themselves. And, and so we kind of lose uh, control over our attention. So we're, we're working on our computer and we get an email notification and then we focus on that and then we respond to that and then we close that window. Then we get back to what we were doing until the next email notification comes in. We're having a conversation with uh, a meaningful conversation such as this one and maybe our phone is nearby and we got a text message and so we pay attention to that. And, and, and this happens very, very frequently uh, throughout the day. And, and, you know, if you divide up the moments of the day 
when you have control over your attention versus when you do not. So when the world has control over your attention versus when you do, uh, I think most people would be surprised just the extent to which uh, the, the, their technological, technological environments have control over their attention. Um, and, and, you know, it's not our fault, frankly, because the, the fascinating thing about our attention is it naturally gravitates, uh, our focus naturally gravitates to anything that's one of three things. So we naturally focus on anything that is pleasurable. We naturally focus on anything that we find threatening in the moment. Uh, and we naturally focus on anything that is new and novel. And, and there's even this novelty bias <laughs> embedded within our mind's prefrontal cortex, where each time we focus on something new and novel, it rewards us with a hit of dopamine, the, the pleasure chemical, for doing that. Uh, and so we find ourselves in these loops of of paying attention to pleasurable, threatening, and novel things, you know, laying down in bed, bouncing around between a loop of five or six apps on our phone before we get out of bed for 20 or 30 minutes. Um, and, and, and this manifests itself in some fascinating ways. You know, one of the most alarming statistics I encountered when I was writing this book is that on average, when we're working in front of a computer, we only focus on one thing for 40 seconds before we switch to doing something else. And if we have apps like, uh, like yeah, I know, like iMessage and uh, Slack and, uh, you know, whatever else I am open in the background, this lowers down to 35 seconds. And this is measured in real world environments on actual people, not like like not like mice in a maze or something like that. And so I think this is probably the most shocking thing that I encountered. You know, I think a lot of us know that we're distracted a lot. Uh, a lot of us know that they like we should tame distractions and stuff like that. That's obvious. But I think the reason why we're distracted, you know, just the fact that it's not our fault, that our mind is wired uh, by our evolution to pay attention to anything that's pleasurable, threatening or novel. And, and that this leads us to be uh, switching between things every 35 to 40 seconds, and that the world has control of our attention. I, I think when you take these ideas together as one, uh, you really begin to arrive at the conclusion that our attention is worth reclaiming from the world around us. So what in general, do, like, like for you, I know, and I mean, I'm sure the list can be many, but what are some of the three, like top three things that distract you the most? Cause I know what they are for me. I, I'm curious for you. Oh man, there's so much, uh, you know, it, my phone is a constant uh, distractor. So I always get it out of the room, but when I have something important to do right now, it's, it's lying down in the other room while, while I'm in my office, you know, it's, it's constant. It, it never makes a sound, but there's always these notifications coming in. I, you know, I have all the vibrations and the sounds turned off, but it's still, you know, it's still probably the most pleasurable, threatening and novel thing in my environment. Um, you know, it, Email is another great example of something that that is a big distraction for me because, you know, what, with the kind of work that I do, that you do, there's a lot of validation that comes in from, from readers and listeners uh, in email. Uh, so emails and other, and, uh, you know, from publishers and different uh, media stuff. Uh, so email is, is another good example of, of one. And, and I think, um, hmm, there's so many like websites that, 
you know, I, I purposefully don't visit any news websites. I, I subscribe to a physical paper, so I get my news in that form because it's more, you know, it's more thoughtful. You, you read beyond the front page headlines to, to dig deep in, into the actual um, important news as opposed to just the news of the moment. Uh, but so news websites aren't necessarily a big challenge, but Reddit is a big challenge, especially uh, I'm big into knitting and uh, mechanical keyboards. And so those subreddits, uh, those take up a lot of time yeah, and attention. Hold on, hold on Chris. Chris knitting and mechanical keyboards? Yeah, like not together, but like, you know, I love... The, these are two of my favorite... Let me tell you, do you have a mechanical keyboard, Ari? I do not. Oh, let me tell you. So you, you do a lot of writing. And uh, it's kind of like... Do you play the piano or have you played a piano? I have. I have. So you have like the keyboard pianos where like you tap down on a switch and like you don't feel anything. And then you have a grand piano where, where you're playing the piano and you feel each key. And in each key, you can you know that it's hitting a, a string because a piano is a string instrument. It's hitting a string in the back of the piano and that's reverberating around the room and that's creating the, the beautiful, luxurious sound that you hear. And then you have on the other side, the, the like, shitty like electronic keyboards where it's like digital and you know you're flipping a bit somewhere in the software and that's telling the other software to 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 play a sound over those crappy speakers on the piano the difference between uh, uh, like the default keyboard on your computer whatever one comes with and a mechanical keyboard is like going from the the crappy electronic keyboard to a grand piano um you know th- th- this is Maybe I'm selling it a bit much, but like th- this is what my my keyboard says. It's it's like chocolatey. It's it's very rich and like each <laughs> each key actuation, uh, you know, you know, because there's an actuation force that that I, I could nerd out about this. You could probably tell. Forget nerd out. This is that, like you're like arousing me. This is yeah. It's like keyboard porn. Like this is why I love. Like if you go to the mechanical keyboard subreddit, man, it's like people posting pictures of their keyboards. But here's here's the the tip that I would offer people. Uh, the the big two key switches in mechanical keyboards. There are the blues and the browns. The blues are very clacky. The browns, you know, think brown like chocolate. They're very smooth. They they feel very luxurious to type on. Highly recommended. Sales are going to go through the roof of cherry brown mechanical keyboards i, I mean and knitting I, man I, knitting I, yeah. Do you, have you knit i have never knit tell me about knitting knitting is one of my favorite hobbies like i, I i've wanted to learn for years I, I signed up on a total whim here in like the small town canada uh city that i live in kingston uh and so you know there's a knitting store downtown i thought well you know why the hell not like it, it's it, it seems like a fun thing to try signed up and it's one of my favorite things to do now i knit on on planes. I knit on train. If you see a, a younger looking guy <laughs> knitting on a plane, chances are like, it's not a big demographic of people. Chances are that's me. Uh, so just come and say hi. <laughs> so it, it, it's like, and it's a beautiful way. Um, you know, I, I'm big into, into attention, of course, in the research around that topic. And, and it's a beautiful way to let our attention rest and wander. Um, you know, this, this is one of the most underrated modes of our mind. You know, if you think back to uh, what, when your best, most creative insights strike you, the ones that aren't kind of a logical uh, s- sequence of, of, of decisions, but ones that are kind of a logical leap, you know, chances are your mind is wandering when that hits you. You, you might be taking a shower. You might be 
uh, swimming laps. You might be having your morning coffee and, and suddenly like, boom, a, a, an idea hits you fr- from out of the blue. And it's because our mind wanders to some fascinating places. When our mind is wandering, especially when we're doing something habitual, not only do these ideas come to us, but we also plan for the future. Our our mind wanders to the future about 50% of the time when our attention is at rest. And so this is the way I get that. You know, it's habitual. So, you know, you kind of start, uh, you cast off a row and then... And then you you follow through the rest of the row largely on, on habit. And your mind wanders to the future. Your mind wanders to ideas. You you be you you're able to connect to the past, to the present, to the future, all three mental destinations to come up with ideas uh, and uh, and uh, and connect dots in that way. So it's one of my favorite hobbies to do that. Uh, so what does a sort of typical day look like for you and and uh, everyone has a different opinion about morning routines and stuff i don't have one so yeah what's what how do you get going in the in the day i used to have a morning routine too i i don't have one i i think uh, yeah my 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 opinions on routines have changed quite a bit i'm i used to really be into them but now i'm not really i i think routines are overrated um because i i think we should structure the day uh, our days around what we want to accomplish rather than what we have done in the past. Uh, and so, you know, every morning's different. So I don't have a coffee every morning because sometimes I'm doing a caffeine reset like right now. So I'm just drinking herbal tea. Uh, usually I start the day off. I read the newspaper. I'm, I'm disconnected until 8 a.m. because I disconnect from the internet between 8 p.m. and 8 a.m. because it's kind of like a nice way to, to wind down after the day and, and wind up at the beginning of the day. Um, yeah, I, I don't really have one. You know, I, I drink some tea. I spend some time with my fiance. We talk a little bit about, you know, the the stories that are in the papers. And, and uh, when 8 a.m. rolls around, sometimes I'll do some writing because I find that that's my best time to write. And uh, I, I usually don't eat in the morning because I think eating in the morning is a waste of time. Oh, oh, I like that. Okay. So what have you found <laughs> how diet affects your productivity in general? Yeah, I'm a big fan of intermittent fasting. And it's something that I thought was total bullshit that, that I've really come around on. Um, it, you know, really limiting my meals to, to two good, good meals a, a day, you know, having a large lunch, a small dinner, uh, often no breakfast, unless I'm really hungry in the morning, then I'll eat, you know, if, if you're hungry, then you should eat. But I find that I'm usually not hungry in the morning that just having some tea is uh is all I need. But I think that, you know, the, the biggest change that I've made is shrinking the, the um, quantity of food. You know, there, there's kind of the quality of food that, that we tend to focus on. But the portions that we eat are insane. It, you know, if, if you look at the, the McDonald's meals, the, the fries, you know, I've, I've started to see the large fry over time as as like a way of uh, 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 that. That's like the standard size. But if you look through history, it used to be like a third of that size and people were just fine. They, they were just as full after that meal. And so I think we kind of supersize all of our meals. Meals, but unintentionally, and I think we we eat more than we think we need to, um, and so kind of noticing how much food your body asks for is something that people don't really do because eating is something that that we so often do out of habits. We 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 just kind of like all right, uh, it's it's seven a.m. So I guess I eat every day at seven a.m. So I'm going to eat. But is your body asking for food? 
is are you like actually hungry or is your mind just hungry for food so i think making that distinction and and noticing the the quantity of food uh, you know i i focus mostly on on eating a paleo diet I, i'm trying to cut meat out where i can over time but yeah i think uh, the quantity matters sometimes more than the, than the quality yeah okay sure and i i agree so when uh one of the things yeah. that that you get from your yeah. book is this idea of using laziness to your advantage all right so talk about that ah uh, yes yeah are you a lazy would you consider yourself a lazy person you know i don't think so but um i probably if i'm looking from the outside i think it would appear lazy in a lot of ways yes I, i'm i'm definitely i definitely look for short i definitely look for shortcuts <laughs> and i like good enough is good enough for me a lot of times yeah, like I, I think laziness is one of the uh, most underrated things that that can make us more productive. And I, by the way, I don't mean laziness in the sense of like, okay, I don't want to do anything. I'm just gonna like veg out in front of Netflix with like a bucket of of uh, popcorn chicken or whatever. I, I mean, like, I think I think that's better depression. Yeah, that's that's like something else. <laughs> but and that's something else is amazing. No, no, I'm just like, you know, productivity is great and all, but sometimes Netflix binges are great too. So it's all about like that, that, that balance. But I, I don't mean laziness in the sense of that, uh, like giving up on your life. I mean, laziness in the sense of deliberately disconnecting and practicing idleness. You know, idleness is not laziness. It's it's a lost art, uh, I, I would argue. You know, idleness in the sense of reading the paper and, and getting bored every once in a while. Um, drinking a, your morning coffee j- just to enjoy the morning coffee. Um, you know, doing less. Um, and I, I think this is... It's really a lost art because of the the same reasons that knitting is such a a wonderful idea for our productivity. You know, what one of the experiments I conducted in writing this book was was making myself purposely bored for for an hour a day for a month. And so, you know, one day I read uh, the iTunes terms and conditions for for an hour. It's actually shorter than you might think, and more readable than than you might think. <laughs> You'd be surprised, but like I had the I had time to read it three times that day. Um, if you have any questions about it, let me know. Um, I waited on hold with Air Canada's baggage claims department for another hour. Uh, another hour, I peeled exactly five potatoes. Uh, another hour, I watched one cloud in the sky. Like like doing these things to purposefully make my mind bored. Uh, and and what I found was that. When our mind is at rest, and when it's you know boredom's not an attractive uh, uh, emotion or or feeling because it's kind of this restlessness that that we experience as we adjust from a, a high level of stimulation down into a lower level of stimulation. But what is worth experiencing is the the benefits of letting our mind purposefully wander you know when when we uh, swim laps at the pool when we have our morning coffee just sipping on the coffee it's such a beautiful uh, experience maybe if our notepad is nearby we might do some journaling we might 
capture some ideas. And it's because of, you know, that future planning that, that I was talking about. When our mind is, want, this is the most fascinating thing about this, this deliberate mind wandering. I, I call it scatter focus because we kind of scatter our attention. Um, when, when our mind is wandering in scatter focus, we think about the future. We've been shown to think about the future. 48% of the time. Uh, so there's this perspective bias. We, you notice your mind planning when, when you're, say, you know, walking down the, the office corridor to go, on your, to, to go to a meeting and you, you don't have your phone with you. Your mind begins to think about the meeting. You begin to think about what you want to say. You begin to think about the people there. Our minds are wired not to think about the past, but to think about the future. Um, we think about the present 28% of the time when our mind is wandering, and, and the past just 12% of the time. The rest of the time, we're thinking about ideas or, or, or th having thoughts that aren't weighted by, by, a, by a particular time. And so when we connect all three of these mental destinations, again, this is when our ideas strike us. Um, this is when we plan for the future. Here's one of the most uh, amazing ideas I encountered um, in writing this book is that we have been shown to think about our goals 14 times as much when our mind is wandering versus when we're focused on something. Isn't is, is that a, like that's amazing? And so, if you find that you don't think about your goals, if you find that you don't set intentions, if you find that fewer ideas are coming to, if you find that that you know you have less energy, look at how often you let your mind rest. Look at how often you let your mind wander. Look at how often you practice this idleness um, in your day. Because chances are, we, you know, all of us are getting less of it than we used to because we're surrounded by so many things that are pleasurable, threatening, and novel. The, these things hijack our attention. But, but we need to reclaim it for this reason, because, uh, because of the, these, frankly, beautiful benefits. It's, it's actually funny because we I was just uh, talking about boredom as like a benefit over the last couple of weeks with my team. And one of the things for me is like when I, so I have, my, I have four kids and pushing them on the swings is like the, that, the, that's a boredom spot for me because it's just, it's like all four of them, like just sort of moving back and forth. They're not really talking about anything. It's somewhat rhythmic and I really tend to lose myself and I've gotten some great content ideas mm. from those moments. It, yeah. It's interesting how we're like scared of being bored. It's because, because it involves adjusting downward into a lower level of stimulation. You know, that, that feeling of boredom, like it's when we have that sudden adjustment, we, we kind of, you know, we have a busy week, then we're lying down on the couch on Sunday afternoon. You know, it, it's during that, that, sudden adjustment that that we that we experience feelings of anxiety and boredom and and restlessness but but it's worth getting to the other side of that stimulation um and, and like I think boredom is really overrated. Like people kind of uh, sexify it and, and make it like make it like really attractive and like uh, there's like uh, books about the power of boredom. I, I think boredom is is a you know where you do like nothing at all. That that's kind of like nobody wants to experience pure boredom. Um, you know you don't want to lay down in in, a, in an isolation chamber for for like two hours. But like pushing your kids on a swing, it's 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 a wonderful experience. It lets your mind wander. It lets you get down into that lower level of stimulate and we all need it, it sounds kind of challenging though actually like four four so you have four swings going at one time and you like push one then the next and the next and the next and then then you like run back 
I'm like visualizing this right now. Well, I, I always think of it like the uh, the vaudeville uh, actor doing it with the spinning plates, you know, running back and forth on the stage. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. That's usually how I treat it. And yeah, there's, it's very hard to sort of think about or to to think of. It, no, sorry, it's hard to focus on anything really meaningful at that point. Yeah. Yeah, you know, the, the habit kind of takes over. And, and like, it, it, th- this is the thing. Like, we only have so much attention to, to give to the world around us in the moment. And different things occupy a different amount of this attentional space that we have to give to the world. And, and so when we do something that's a habit, um, like pushing our kids on a swing, gr- great example of that, sipping a, a coffee and just letting our mind rest a little bit, um, habitual things have been shown to, to actually lead us to a greater number of creative insights um, in, in research compared to you know doing nothing or focusing on something. And plus, it makes this, this uh, scatter focus fun because you know we're able to rest while we scatter our attention for long because this habitual thing kind of weights us down into the present moment and allows us to keep going until you know the kids want to get off the swing or or the cup of coffee is done or we've uh, finished swimming our laps at the pool or or uh, or, or we've finished knitting a you know a few lines of a scarf um, you know whatever it happens to be it's it's really like it's something we don't get enough of. And, and I'm so happy you've, you know, you're chatting with your team about this because we're, we're so stimulated these days. We have so much going on, um, but, but we have a lot going on in the moment too, where, you know, we're bouncing between things every 35 seconds and there's so much dopamine coursing through our mind that we need to, we need to, you know, get to the other side of stimulation. Cause that's, you know, if you think to, to when you're able to think the, the deepest about what you're doing, that that's when that occurs. It's also so. I, I'm usually pretty good about this in general, I would say. But it's funny actually. So, so just the other night, my wife and I were watching something on Netflix, and we finished one show, and she started to look for another show. And while she was looking for another show, I picked up my phone, and I don't usually have my phone in the bedroom. Actually, like I'll I'll leave it downstairs on another floor. But while she was searching for the other like yeah. show, I picked up my phone. I was looking at my phone, and she she called me out on it, and I was like. Oh, yeah. Right. I mean, it's like I, I can wait a few seconds, you know, while she's like finding another show. It's like it's a stimulation to take me from one simulation to the next simulation. <laughs> it's funny because we actually process our experiences with a different part of our mind when when we're multitasking like that, when we're constantly like looking for this isn't my quote, but like I forget who said this. But but if if the first thing you reached for in the morning was a bottle of whiskey, you'd be an alcoholic. Right. So, so like, what does it say that the first thing we do is reach for our phone and spend 20 or 30 minutes and, and that gets in the way of our day? Uh, and like so something I realized in writing the book, like I began to compare, you know, th- there are some experiences where we multitask during them and, and other times we don't. Like watching a movie is a really good example of this. So if we're watching a show on Netflix, for example, and our phone is nearby, Maybe our tablet's nearby, so we're multitasking and while we while we eat food. When we switch our attention around between all these different things, our mind process the process these the experience instead of through our hippocampus, which is responsible for memory, it processes it through processes it through our basal ganglia, which is responsible for rote activity and habits. And so we remember it less compared to say, when we're in a theater and, you know, they have that that advertisement at the start of every movie, shut your damn phone off, you addict. And uh, and so everybody shuts their phone off except for the one guy in the front. And, and so you actually process the experience. It's more meaningful. You remember 
the movies you see in theater significantly more than the shows you watch on the couch when you multitask. And it's for this reason. You know, if you find yourself, and this is, uh, this is, I think, you know, I set out when I wrote Hyperfocus to write a book about productivity, but I realized like our attention is so much bigger than productivity. Productivity is a kind of a uh, side effect of managing our attention well. But the reason, real reason to manage our attention well is like the state of our attention determines the state of our lives. Uh, if we're distracted in each moment, these moments accumulate day by day week by week, month by month, year by year, to create a life that feels uh, distracted and overwhelming. But the same is true if we focus on something meaningful and productive in the moment as our experiences become more meaningful and productive as a result. And part of this is doing less in the moment. So shifting our, our attentional spotlight less often. So we process the world differently and actually remember, you know, we can only see meaning in what we remember in the first place. That's uh, that's profound and really beautiful, Chris. And so, I, I mean, I, I, I really hope that people get a chance to read the book. So before I ask you, you know, my, my favorite last question of these interviews, tell where can people, when and where can people get the book? It's in bookstores, where, wherever you want. <laughs> you know, it's on Amazon. It's in bookstores everywhere. Um, there's an audio book. If you like the sound of my voice, I, I read the audio book in the same studio that uh, that uh, Justin Bieber recorded a few albums in. Drake recorded a few albums in this studio. Uh, Uptown Funk was recorded in this studio. So that might come off in the recording. Probably not. But the book is called the book is called Hyperfocus: How to Be More Productive in a World of Distraction. And thank you for having me, man. Oh, last question. Yeah. Absolutely. What is it? Yeah, the last question. So what are your top three pieces of advice for people to be more effective? And you've answered this before, but it was mm. probably three years ago. So yeah. go for it. Yeah, we should do this every three years. You know, check in. <laughs> um, it's a deal. Okay. Yeah. Well, let's, let's schedule. <laughs> let's schedule three years from now. Uh, you know, that thing. So hmm, three things to become more effective Notice all, all you can about your attention. Um, you know, notice how distracted you are. No, notice how long you're able to focus for in one sitting. Uh, notice how long your mind wanders for against your will before you catch it. Uh, notice how bored you are. No, notice how much of your time you spend with intention. Maybe that'll be number two. Um, you know, this is one of the best measures I think we could have for our productivity. You know, pro productivity, we're perfectly productive, in my opinion, when we accomplish what we set out to do. You know, th th those are the days, you know, wh whether our intention is to like relax on a beach and put our feet up or, uh, or like get a lot of work done. If we intend to do something and we follow through with that intention, I would argue that we're perfectly productive. And, and so I would look at what percent of the day just approximate it, you spend with intention behind what you're doing. Because the greater that percentage, you will see your productivity go up over time if, if you're choosing and intending to do things that are productive, that accomplish things that you care about, that are meaningful. Uh, and uh, and I think you, your meaning will go up alongside with that. Third, third piece, is a, a piece of advice. Hmm... Watch less news, you know, really pay attention to what you consume. Um, 
you know, we see the world and we perceive the world through the lens of the information that we've consumed in the past. Um, one study I encountered the other day, they, they had participants watch uh, six or more hours of news coverage uh, about the Boston Marathon bombings. And they found that the people who watched more than six hours of news were more likely to develop PTSD than someone who was in the marathon and personally affected by it. Uh, the, the single biggest predictor of, of fear and anxiety in our lives uh, is how much time we spend watching TV talk shows, of all things. Um, and, and, you know, if, if you add up the, the time that somebody spends watching TV over, over the course of their life, uh, over the course of an average lifespan, we watch 16.9 years of television. Uh, and so if you want to live longer, you know, your time is there. You're just not spending it uh, on what's productive and meaningful. And so, uh, the, you know, that would be the final piece of advice. You know, the state of our attention really does determine the state of our lives and our moments accumulate. And so our attention matters, I, I think, right now more than ever. So I, I, I'm, I actually, you, you sparked one more question that I got to ask now. So, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so when you hear somebody say to you, ah, Chris, you know, this sounds great. I really, these all sound really good, but I, j I just don't have time. Like, how do you respond to that when someone says they don't have time? Yeah. When somebody says they do don't have time, that's, it's the biggest bullshit excuse in the world uh, be because we all have time for things. It's just we spend it on other things. Um, and so, you know, meditation is a really good example of this. If somebody says, I don't have time for meditation, I, I don't have time to meditate for 20 minutes a day. Uh, you know, I, I might ask them, okay, how much time every day do you spend on Instagram? Um, do you have time to watch an episode of Friends for 20 minutes? And sometimes I catch myself in this too. Uh, you know, if, if I say, oh, I don't have time to meditate today, I'll ask myself, okay, do I have time to watch, you know, 20 minutes of, of uh, tech videos on YouTube? And the answer is usually yes. And so I just swap the tasks out and tell myself, okay, man, it, like, come on. You have time to meditate. You just want to spend it on other things. And so I, I think this is, you know, this is a fascinating thing is it's a story we tell ourselves about our lives. You know, if, you know, you have four kids, if, if you're working at capacity, you don't have time to grab a coffee with somebody and one of your kids suddenly gets sick and you have to take them to the hospital, you will find the time to do that while getting other things done. You know, the time is always there. Um, it, it's just that we spend it on other things usually that are less important. It's not that we don't have the time for something. It's that we don't have the attention for something. Like reading is a good example of this. People say they don't have time to read, but they have time to consume social media for hours a day. You know, it's not that we don't have the time. It's that we don't have the attention and that we don't care enough. Yeah, I, I totally couldn't have said it better myself. So Chris, thank you. You, uh, this is a uh, last interview with you was awesome. This one was, was, amazing as well so thank you for your time i hope people can take the time to get the book and put attention yeah. to reading it <laughs> thanks so much man yeah we'll chat it another three years okay <laughs> thanks for listening to the less doing podcast at less doing we help entrepreneurs who have opportunity in excess of what their infrastructure can support to set up systems and processes that empower a team to ultimately make themselves more replaceable that way they can optimize, automate, and outsource everything in their businesses in order to be more effective. If you want to find out more about Less Doing, the podcast, the blog, the books, and all of the wonderful programs we offer to help you get from where you are to where you know you want to be, 
go to lessdoing.com slash podcast and check out our OAO blueprint so you can get started today.